Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpin' Radio. This week, we learn about the effect of the pandemic on the environment, work through the depression of these times, and discuss modern animation. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for June 19, 2020. Mario Smith and Jamie Trecker ran a special program this week, Uprising, America in Crisis. They talked to the people on the streets and learned about protests rocking the nation. You can hear the entire three-hour special Uprising, America in Crisis at lumpenradio.com. It's WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio. News from the service entrance, the radio show, a special report. Uprising, America's Days of Unrest. I'm Mario Smith. Jamie Trecker is with me. We are in Studio B at the Co-Prosperity Sphere for the first time since February. Uh, I think this is the first pair of voices heard in this building since then. I'm glad to be here with you. Joining us on the phone right now, um, one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure that we had a voice from Minneapolis, Minnesota, that can actually talk about what's going on on the ground, not speculation, not hearsay, not rumor, not through the lens of major media, but an actual human being that is there. P.J. Hill, who will tell you he is not an activist. He is a black man living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, born and raised, who cares about his city. And he joins us now on the phone. P.J., it is really, really cool to finally get to talk to you. How you doing today, brother? Man, I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me on the show. Not a problem. Um, I want to get to the, the, the beginning for our people here in Chicago who are listening to the program and people around the world who happen to be listening. Um, last week, Monday, George Floyd uh, was murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department. The city of Minneapolis went up instantly and you were one of those people on the ground talking to your people. Tell me. From your perspective, take me back to that day and and subsequently to today. Okay, so, uh, you know, he got murdered evening, Tuesday morning. You know, I find myself watching Instagram videos on Sean King, one of the biggest activists in the United States, you know, Instagram page of the murder and watching just everything watching so much stuff come out so as you can know you know we all are outraged when it's just time and time again no convictions and you know you so you you feel upset so following that for, for me this is how mine went you know i just was just taking that tuesday and was just so thrown off talking to my sister who's in the WNBA, and a bunch of other of my friends and everything so Wednesday it comes. I usually every day when I'm see my bike ride more than day. Instead of you know really going on and doing anything, I said you know let me go out and see the city. Or I don't know if that's Wednesday or Thursday, but I go out early in the morning and I go see the city instead of go a bike ride. When I tell you they turned the city down, it was something like I'd never seen. It was like true anarchy. Mm. The, 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 the people responded. People responded in such uh, uproar. 
like what they say, the, the Malcolm way, we're just, we're going to send a message. And that's what they did. They burned all the local grocery stores, Cub, Foods, Target. They burned all the, you know, the all of the stores in the Minneapolis. And when I went, if the stores weren't burnt down, they were being just completely looted. Not only looted, but robbed as well. So the people were so frustrated. I walked through the city early in the morning, and it was people still actively taking stuff, still arguing, buildings still literally burning, and that the fire station haven't got to. And so I seen that, and I walked for blocks and blocks, and I showed people on my social media that this is real. Message has been sent. So subsequent days, that was con continued to happen. Now, for me, after I showed those videos and I had some commentary on there, people were asking me, you know, were telling me, like, man, you need to speak out. You're a, you're a former professional athlete. You have a platform. You should speak out. So I ended up saying, okay, I reached out to a couple of people. What can I do for my community? What can I do as just a, a member of this community to, to help, to, you know, move humanity forward, to speak a message, uh, to inspire people? that we need justice, not for just minorities, but for all people, you know? How can I help the human race take a step forward? I ended up getting connected with Al Sharpton, attended a press conference he was at, and got to sit in a private meeting, listen to how the him, Jesse Jackson, and all the different leaders were able to do it. I met, I was able to sit in a private room with Jesse Jackson and hear these leaders talk. And then I, the next day, uh, Royce White, who played in the NBA, big-time athlete player, that we, we should organize a, a march, a protest. It was cut off as just, you know, like 40 athletes, NBA players, you know, NFL players, but off on the city of Minneapolis, turned into, you know, 15,000 people walking with us. So we walk, we spoke, uh, we took the freeway. So that, I'm, I'm, I'm to Sunday now. We took the freeway and... Uh, Next thing I know, at the, a friendly protest, peaceful protest, where we have 15,000 people united, black, white, Native American, whatever ethnicity you can think of was supporting this cause, and we were peaceful. What we wanted was to have the mayor come speak to us. You know, we understand that the inner, inner city, the mayor is not going to be able to spend all his time. But in these trying times, we need to see his face. He understands, he's with us, and he's strong. Yeah. A leader, they should be far enough ahead to inspire you, but close enough where their reality is real and you can touch them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So Let, let me ask you something, PJ. You yeah. lived there your whole life. Is yeah. it? Is it? And and we know about Philando Castile here here in in Chicago. Yes. We believe that we do, and about a bunch of other people in Minnesota, Minneapolis uh, that that have been brutalized by the police. Why, and and what are, if you can speak to it? What are the origins of the Minneapolis Police Department, and why they tend to take the tact that they do towards black men in that city? Um, I can. It's, it's uh, you know, a multi-level answer, but, you know, the simple thing, this is in my opinion and what I see. Number one, we don't have many black or minority police officers or officers 
policing our communities who are from these communities. So when you don't understand the people and the mindset and what it's like to be raised in this community and grow up in this community, then you can't police it because issues happen. People deal with different things like George Floyd. So this is the example I always give. The counterfeit dollar bill trying to buy some Coke. If I'm from this neighborhood, one of eight children grew up with nothing. It's COVID. Two or three months. There's no jobs. So if he's trying to go to the corner store and buy that, you got to have compassion. You understand what it's like to have none. So you go to that grocery store. Yeah, he did something wrong with that counterfeit bill. But you pull him aside as an officer and you say, look, man, don't ever do this again. I know it's hard times, but come on. I'm not going to drag nobody to jail or jump on their neck and kill them for a counterfeit bill in COVID when people haven't been working. Does that make sense? To me, it does. I mean, it makes sense. That's the thing, PJ. It makes sense to everybody. It just seems there were four people who it didn't make sense to, and those are the four police officers that were in Minneapolis. Now, now let me ask you this. I don't know how much you can speak to uh, what is happening in terms of, and we'll do a little deep dive on it a little bit later, about... uh, what is happening with the other three cops that that were involved in this situation? But is there any movement, as far as you know, to arrest them? Because that would seem to be a way, if they wanted to stop or at least bring the temperature down, that would be a way to do it by arresting those other three policemen. One hundred percent. And now, now, small victory. Keith Ellison, a black attorney general, is on the case now because of uh, Jay Z. And get them people in custody. It makes sense to everybody in the world that if if any other regular person, a group of us, somebody murdered, we went one person robbed the bank, and we were all in the car as getaway drivers. We are all going to jail, accomplices. So we don't understand why the other three are not being blamed. And this is a problem in the Minneapolis Police Department. Accountability is such an authority. Like, you don't say nothing to authority to the point that you let a man take another man when you're supposed to be policing and protecting. Protecting and serving, not killing. Sports Dana and Jesse chatted with Brian Andrews about his recently released virtual reality film, Hominidae. Andrews discusses VR's accessibility and how modern animation is growing and changing. Bad at Sports airs every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Our very own sometimes host, but now guest, Brian Andrews. Welcome Thanks to for, the show. Thanks for having me. It feels, it feels weird to be in this chair. Incestuous? I uh, don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Insectuous, I believe. Insectuous, yeah, kind of, yeah, that kind of fits. That kind of fits. But I know so, I, feel, I feel good beer. Feel, feels good. So yeah, normally you're on the in the other chair on the other side, but Brian Brian did a thing, and we wanted to talk to him about his thing. I, I mean, did not his thing, thing, but a thing. I did. I did make a thing that's kind of out there in the world. I mean, one of the interesting things about sports is that we're all, in some ways, practicing artists or artistic 
professional practitioners. Uh, and every once in a while, we do something that maybe we actually want to talk about uh, ourselves. Uh, and while it may feel a little, you know, close to the hip, I think it's a little fair. I mean, I've been on Bad at Sports before, but it's been about 15 years as a guest. So, so yeah. Wow. So what have you been up to in the last 15 years? Yeah. Uh, so currently, uh, I think what we're here to talk about is a virtual reality film that uh, is kind of making the rounds out in uh, what exists of the film festival circuit these days called Hominidae. Uh, Hominidae is a 360 uh, virtual reality film. That means it's sort of a linear uh, sort of film-based uh, experience that can be uh, experienced in all available virtual reality headsets. Um, it is a completely CG animated short film uh, that takes place in a world of um, X-ray invisibility where the human bodily form has been evolved into um, alternative evolutionary imaginations. Uh, but really within that, it's actually just simply a story of a mother uh, trying to raise her young in a difficult world. Okay, Brian, you just said a lot of words that I don't think I understood. So first of all, hominidae, what is that? So hominidae, means, that? that means the family of man, right? So us as humans, we are all uh, part of hominidae uh, as large a family as our Neanderthals and many of our other ancestors uh, on the evolutionary tree. And the, the idea here or the concept here is in, in the world of, of the hominids, uh, which we are, um, I'm presenting alternative forms, different uh, anatomies that humans could have evolved into. Um, and this story takes place uh, uh, in a world where these different evolutionary forms are surviving and uh, adapting and living with each other. So we might, so this is like a potential future reality world scape future reality past reality or just alternative musing on what it means to be human or what human or intelligent life could be like on earth uh it's not really sort of specifically pinned down it's just more um creating a space where we can look at ourselves and how we're tied to our bodies and how that ties us to the natural world and the cultures around us is this the so first like vr project you've worked on uh, it's sort of the first published VR project that I've worked on. Uh, I have, um, it was actually quite interesting. So this project itself has come from many other iterations, uh, both uh, uh, studio work and, and previous film work. Um, but uh, in terms of VR, I started working on this particular short film, originally just expecting it to be a traditional 2D animated film. Uh, but at the time, I was just doing some experimental research with uh, some of my colleagues at DePaul University about virtual reality filmmaking and what that might be. Uh, and we started working on a um, horror short, just kind of thinking a live action horror short film, um, thinking uh, sort of as a play space as an experiment space, under trying to figure out what this medium is, if we would need to teach it at some point, what that would be. Uh, and at that point, I was early on in writing this story, again, as a 2D animation, but uh, I was really struggling with the story. It wasn't really coalescing or making a lot of sense um, until I started thinking about VR and how VR could embody the viewer and what type of relationships uh, viewers could have to performed characters. Uh, and once I started applying the world with the hominid into that context, everything started clicking. The story started coming together and the project really sort of found life. 
Um, so that's a long way of saying that, yes, this is the first project that's out there, uh, but it was sort of seeded by another project that's been lapped that actually, hopefully, that, that actual horror short will be released sometime in the next few months. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing that's very striking about that is just connecting the two sort of like alternate modes of vision that are presented in terms of for the viewer, right? So it's simultaneously VR and 360, but then also that the whole thing looks as if we're experiencing the world as an x-ray. Um, and hopefully that's sort of like clear to the listener, but one can imagine that these are these sort of like skeletal creatures, but that in, in an x-ray way you can see um, the sort of like the shapes around their bones also. So we sort of like get a sense for them as, um, yeah, it's like translucent creatures. Um, which is like a very, I think, just sort of uh, interesting thing. I'm, I'm curious if you can just talk a little bit about like how you're tying together those different visual modes. So uh, I really wanted the biology to be a driving force for storytelling, sort of understanding a sort of how how the bodies of, of creatures and characters would connect to storytelling. Um, but maybe to explain sort of that look and that feel, maybe we should, it might be useful to do a little backstep uh, in this project. So going all the way back to, 2005, um, these creatures were originally created in a series of digital photo composites that I created, where I was actually working with physical veterinary and human x-rays. And using more cutting-edge technology at that point, Photoshop, uh, uh, just started experimenting to build these sort of alternative uh, human anatomies. then fast forward from there to 2012, uh, as I'd sort of moved into working with computer animation, the idea was to sort of take these characters um, and see if you could tell a story based off of their physiology and, and see if you could use that to drive storytelling, at which point I made a, a short called Hominid, which uh, sort of had its own life, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, but really with this film, I wanted to sort of expand upon that. I wanted to not just inflect a world, you know, a story where Right, you can actually, you know, when a when a creature gets excited, the heartbeat increases. Their their physiology is visible and transparent to the viewer, so you're sharing uh, that visceral experience. But then expand that out into what it would be to actually be that creature within a culture. Clem spoke to Jen Walling, the executive director of the Illinois Environmental Council. Walling discussed how the pandemic has paused human impact on the planet and what people need to know about our state's microbiome. Spontaneous Vegetation airs every other Sunday at 5 p.m. Today's guest is Jen Walling. You have a really extensive background uh, in uh, environmental policy and work, and I I was hoping you could talk a little bit about some of that um, precursor to that, but even before that, um, Jen um, sitting at the uh, breakfast table getting getting some uh, breakfast before you ran off to school, elementary school maybe. I wanna, I really want to understand what is the root of what got you started in such a um, vigorous and extensive career. Yeah, I mean. I think back about that a lot too. And I think 
I think there is some inspiration by nature, but I think that it really came from that. I wanted to make a difference for people. And, you know, we talked in my bio, I'm a little, little obsessed with, with power building. And, you know, I talk a lot about altering the relations of power, which sounds really radical, but it's, you know, there are groups out there that are big companies that that is their goal. And so that's my goal too. Um, except I want to make sure I'm altering the relations of power for communities and people doing good in the world. And I think that I came from just really being upset at all of the injustice on injustice in so many levels in the world. And I'm kind of an introvert, even though I do all of this political work. Um, <laughs> and so I think environment was the right field for me uh, because I really want to make a difference in people's lives, but we're, you know, I get to go outside and experience nature sometimes as part of it. So it's, it's really, I love it. And that's, that's what inspires me. When did, um, that, when did that consciousness start building for you? Was it high school or earlier or later than that? Well, you know, I can't even remember, um, you know, there's a lot where my parents have a very different political philosophy than I do, but we're still very into, um, you know, uh, gardening, composting, recycling, um, not wasting things, I think was really important to my parents. Um, and so that was something that, that I heard. I mean, I can even remember um, when I was in grade school, my best friend and I would um, uh, started our own work to recycle milk cartons during our school lunches. Um, <laughs> and this is like fifth and sixth grade. Um, and, you know, we went even so far as to like um, things that probably weren't very public health sanitary, especially when we think about the world right now, just in, like emptying people's milk cartons and putting them in the right spot. Um, and so I just remember doing this, even, even at that age, just really not wanting to waste things. Um, and definitely in high school, I was part of the environmental club. Um, you know, it's I'm a, I love nature. I'm not a huge fan of actually camping though. Um, <laughs> just don't like sleeping on the ground. That's my dirty environmental secret, even though I love and have been to all of the state parks that I can, you know, uh, I'll get there someday. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it started definitely this started young and I, I, uh, my first internship was with Scarce, which is in Glen Ellen. Um, and they're a group that teaches kids about recycling and composting education. So oh, I started yeah. that when I was 16. Um, and that's where I learned about worm composting. And I still, 20 years later, have the same worms, different bin, same worms. Of uh, what generation? That, that started then. I just <laughs> took it through college in my dorm room and, and all of that. Um, I, they did pretty well until the one time I harvested all of the castings. And then it started to smell a little bit. But my, my roommate was cool with that. Um, <laughs> uh, How many but, generations you know, I, is that, Jen? I mean, yeah. I mean, everybody <laughs> usually comes to me and says, I've killed my worms. It's the seventh time I've killed my worms. What am I doing wrong? And you're like, I have this legacy of how many years? Yeah, I mean, it's a Of the same genetics? I'm alone a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Let them do their thing. They know better than I do. Um, and so... 
uh, yeah, like, like that's where a lot of it came from. And um, I, I always tell students looking to get into this career, you know, like try a lot of things you know what you don't want to do. And despite that I loved working for scares, I recognize that I am not good with small children. <laughs> um, I love them. I'm not uh, teaching small kids is not is not where I come from. Even though I like teaching, I actually teach a course at U of I um, online oh. uh, for, for students. Um, but I realized I want to teach, and then I tried working in the lab. I tried one summer of, like, corporate environmental law. Uh, and you just try a lot of things um, and figure out what you don't like, and that helps you decide what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> so I did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so that's... <laughs> That's a little of where, I, and, and I think just in my my background was very science oriented. I actually, in natural resource and environmental science, um, my uh, concentration was actually in soil science. I don't remember all of it, so don't ask me to like soil judge. But you know, my favorite class is soil organic matter. No way. Um, <laughs> You've great, never told great me class. that. I <laughs> so, Dr. Michelle Wander at, at U of I. Wow. Soil Organic Matter was great. Um, and uh, yeah, but I had a very science background, and I also knew I really wanted to do um, a lot where I, uh, something really just, just watching the injustice, I wanted to make sure that polluters saw enforcement and that they, um, we're brought to justice, and that's a little bit of why I went to law school. But then I realized that law takes a long time, and I'm not very patient. And so, which I say that, and then I'm going to talk about legislation that sometimes takes us oh seven, God. eight years to pass. <laughs> <laughs> but I still find this speed to be a lot more my style. So um, huh. that's a little bit of where I came at this from. And um, politics, justice, the environment are really my, my inspiration in all of it. Wow. Okay. So what are the, some of the injustices that, that first started triggering you? Can you go back to that? Like, when did it start lighting up for you? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, I, I would love to say, especially right now with everything that's going on that's very, like, racial injustice, um, that's something I really wasn't exposed to. I just have to be honest until I was older. I went to, I lived in a, a very white suburb. Um, I think there were only a couple of kids of color that were in my class. Outside of uh, Chicago? In, like all of high school. Just, yeah, uh, in the Western suburbs. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Darien. Um, mm -hmm. So very white. But I definitely was inspired by issues of poverty and low income um, issues and just how can we make the world a better place for everybody? Size matters, size matters. Smith, Kyle, Seisman, Kowski. Thank you very much. Have a nice Whoa, day. Oh, traffic's backed up all the way down Morgan. Yeah, and I see Ooh. why. Uh, hey, looks like your buddy book. is at it again. Don't right call him my buddy. Kyle, what are you doing? Jess, you're just in time. Let's do a new episode about this. About you washing cars? Well, this is the Seisman Sudski Festival, a semi-annual Bridgeport quasi-celebrity car wash and laundry. 
I do it every... Oh, uh, hold up. Car wash and laundry? Yes, exactly. People bring the dirty clothes to me. I soap them up and I wash the car with them. I got all the neighborhood heroes involved. Uh, over there is a guy who played uh, music on John Daly's show once. How do you do? Go away. And of course, we got Steve from Bernice's. Hi, Jess. Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, well, this seems weirdly pragmatic for you, Kyle. Yes, I know. And just for a few bucks... All Bridgeporters can come to the GoPro Alley for a car and laundry wash. It's like the only time I ever clean anything. Impressive crowd you got here. Man, I've been doing this for years. Where does the other end of that hose go? Oh, I just ran it through the mail slot up to Eric's place. <laughs> he never notices, but it's on the DL, so. Actually, here, hold the hold the hose for a minute. I gotta do this. Oh, oh my God. For the listeners, I should explain. Please don't. Kyle, are you wearing a bikini? Are you wearing my bikini? Hey, I found it on the floor fair and square. Whose floor? Jamie's. I live there, too. That's also my floor. Yeah, but you rent. You don't own it. So, like, you know, whatever, right? Not a thing. I definitely don't want that back. And now what my audience has been waiting for. That's more technically impressive than I would have thought possible. I have to say, everyone's mesmerized by... Is that my blouse? I wonder, are you washing that car with my clothes? don't blame me. Jamie said he didn't want the car wash. He just wanted the laundry dead. Oh, here comes the meltdown. I answer the phone. Jamie, I cannot believe you let Kyle wash the car with my clothes. They ain't clothes, the laundry. Gotta go... This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump's handlers keep trying and failing to soothe an increasingly erratic president. Trump calls chokeholds beautiful and innocent. Bolton drops a June surprise, claiming Trump traded favors with China's Xi Jinping. The family of a man killed by the police walks out on Trump, and the Supreme Court deals Trump two losses. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1240, June 12th. On the fourth anniversary of the murders at Orlando's Pulse nightclub, Trump rolled back Obama-era protections for transgender Americans against sex discrimination in health care. According to the new version of the policy, the DHHS will be, quote, returning to the government's interpretation of sex discrimination according to the plain meaning of the word sex as male or female and as determined by biology. At a speech in Texas, Trump falsely claimed the current protest seeking to, quote, defund the police would lead to eliminating emergency phone lines. Quote, I heard they want to close up all police forces. It's not like they want to sort of bring a little money into something else. They want it actually closed. I'm thinking what happens late at night when you make that call to 9-11 and there's nobody there. Trump's advisors are urging him to fire his campaign manager. Brad Barscali formally headed up the social media strategy that took Trump to the White House in 2016. One aide told the Post, quote, there's no strategy, there's no messaging. Meanwhile, in a remarkably tone-deaf moment, Trump's campaign is selling Baby Lives Matter onesies on its website. People who attend Trump's Tulsa rally have to sign a waiver promising they will not sue if they contract COVID while at the event. Falling on Trump's decision to have a MAGA rally on Juneteenth, which many have taken as an act of racist trolling, Trump is expected to accept the Republican nomination in Jacksonville, Florida on August 27th. 
Attendees will not be required to wear masks or practice social distancing, but they will be required to sign the same waiver. That speech will fall on the 60th anniversary of a race riot. Acts handled Saturday. That was when a white mob organized by the Ku Klux Klan attacked a group of black civil rights protesters for sitting at Jacksonville's whites-only lunch counters. A new book reports that Melania Trump stayed behind in New York to his leverage to renegotiate her prenup. Patello also says Melania helped choose Mike Pence as vice president because she believed he would remain subservient to Trump. And Trump has declined to publicly call for unity among Americans because, quote, the protesters aren't my voters. Day 1241, June 13th. Trump faced new questions about his health after videos emerged of him gingerly walking down a ramp at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and having trouble bringing a glass of water to his mouth. Trump later posted a defense and false statement on Twitter claiming he, quote, ran the final 10 steps. The ramp I descended after my West Point commitment speech was very long and steep, had no handrail, and was very slippery. The last thing I was going to do was fall for the fake news to have fun with. Final feet, I ran to level ground. Momentum. In fact, skies were clear, the ramp was not slippery, and Trump never ran. In a rambling interview on Fox News, Trump said that, quote, generally speaking, he thinks police should avoid using chokeholds, but he stopped short of saying he supports a ban on the tactic. He then added, I think the concept of chokehold sounds so innocent, so perfect. In the same interview, Trump said, let's take a pass on Abraham Lincoln because he did good, although it's always questionable, you know, in other words, the end result. The reporter, who was black, responded by saying, well, we are free. He did pretty well. Trump then ended that interview by complaining he doesn't get anything in return for funding historically black colleges. The people I did it for, they go on television and thank everybody but me. Trump claimed he has invested more than $2 trillion in the military in a commencement of stress at West Point. This is false. Trump said he will no longer watch the U.S. national soccer teams after a policy requiring players to stand during the anthem was repealed. It is unknown how many hours Trump spent watching the world champion women. Day 1242, June 14th. Trump spent his 74th birthday in seclusion at his New Jersey golf club, only appearing to make fresh claims that the radical left had taken over the city of Seattle. Quote, does anyone notice how little the radical left takeover of Seattle is being discussed in the fake news media? That is very much on purpose because they know how badly this weakness and ineptitude play politically. The mayor and governor should be ashamed, easily fixed. Interesting how Antifa and other far-left militant groups can take over a city with barely a whimper from soft, do-nothing Democratic leadership, yet these same weak leaders become radical when it comes to shutting down a state or city and its hard-working, tax-paying citizens. The second wave of the pandemic is now hitting the Sun Belt in the West in new and alarming outbreaks. Hospitals in Arizona have activated emergency plans while Florida saw its largest single-day count of cases. Oregon has failed to contain the spread of the virus, leading that state to stop its reopening. And in Texas, the cities of Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas are all seeing a strong surge of cases. We are also a long way away from safety. COVID is predicted to ultimately infect 60 to 70% of the population. Right now, we're at 5%. Trump is creatively reinterpreting a Cold War era arms treaty to allow defense contractors to sell armed drones to governments who are barred from buying them. The change to the 33-year-old missile technology control regime is to allow the State Department to approve the first drone sales this summer. We just thought that moves to benefit the government of Saudi Arabia. A niece of Trump is said to be publishing a tell-all of, quote, harrowing and salacious stories about him. That niece, Mary Trump, is to release the books three weeks before the Republican convention. 
According to a report first published in the Daily Beast, she is also alleging she was a primary source of the New York Times' Pulitzer Prize winning coverage of Trump's finances and provided the newspaper with confidential documents. At least four members of Congress benefited from the Paycheck Protection Program. Two of the four voted against disclosing the beneficiaries of that program. Day 1243, June 15th. In a stunning decision with far-reaching implications, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 that the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects gay and transgender workers. The decision, written by Trump appointee Neil Gorsuch, ruled in a statutory interpretation that the language of Title VII of the Act, which reads, quote, shall not discriminate on the basis of sex, applies to discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. That ruling is likely to have major implications not only in employment, but in health care and access to services. Trump claimed we should stop testing for coronavirus, and if we did, we would have no cases. He tweeted, quote, Our testing is so much bigger and more advanced than any other country. We have done a great job on this that it shows more cases. Without testing or weak testing, we would be showing almost no cases. Testing is a double-edged sword, makes us look bad but good to have. That statement is completely false. Also, the Supreme Court rejected a challenge to California's sanctuary law and another legal defeat for Trump. That law, which limits cooperation between local law enforcement and federal immigration authorities, the justices decided not to hear that case, leaving in place lower court rulings. Trump forced the removal of a large Black Lives Matter banner at the U.S. Embassy in Seoul, South Korea. A large multicolored pride banner recognizing lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people was also removed. Both were replaced with a banner commemorating the 70th anniversary of the end of the Korean War. And Trump claimed that a very tiny, a very small percentage of police officers have killed unarmed black Americans, saying, quote, nobody wants to get rid of them more than the really good and great police officers. Trump also claimed that Americans demand law and order. Some of them don't know that's what they want, but that's what they want. Without police, there is chaos. Day 1244, June 16th. Vice President Mike Pence tried to convince state governors that a rise in testing was a reason behind new coronavirus outbreaks in the U.S. This is false. Trump called John Bolton's forthcoming book, quote, highly inappropriate and said it would be a criminal problem if the book was published. If he wrote a book, I can't imagine that he can because that's highly classified information. Trump said the Department of Justice will file an injunction against publication. Bolton's book reportedly lays out examples of international misconduct that go far beyond the pressure campaign in Ukraine that led to Trump's impeachment. Trump's attempts to eliminate transgender rights across the government in education, housing, and health care was likely torpedoed by the Supreme Court's ruling on Title VII. The ruling, and the breadth of which the administration appears to have been caught off guard by, will affect dozens of federal agencies from HUD to the Pentagon. Trump said some people were surprised, but they've ruled, and we live with their decision. It was a very powerful decision, actually. The head of the NOAA violated the agency's code of ethics when he rebuked employees for contradicting Trump's inaccurate claim that a hurricane would hit Alabama last year. Neil Jacobs was found to have, quote, engaged in the misconduct intentionally, knowingly, or in reckless disregard for the agency's scientific integrity policy. Those findings, however, shot short of punishment. In the early days of the pandemic in March, Trump was touting the fantastic economy and brushing off the virus. On the same day, then, White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney sold between $215,000 and $550,000 in mutual fund holdings. Those were largely made up of U.S. stocks. 
The trades represented the vast majority of Mulvaney's holdings in publicly traded funds. Those trades were also unusual since he had made no trades at all in 2019. Day 1245, June 17th. In a damning tell-all, former Trump advisor John Bolton says in his new book, Trump sought to intervene in law enforcement matters for personal and political gain. Bolton said Trump stopped multiple investigations to give personal favors to dictators he liked, citing specific cases involving firms from China and Turkey. Bolton also says Trump asked President Xi Jinping of China to buy a lot of American agricultural products to help him win farm states in this year's election. Bolton said Trump pleaded with Xi to buy those goods. Bolton said, quote, the pattern looked like obstruction of justice as a way of life, which we couldn't accept. Bolton said he reported his concerns to the Attorney General William Barr. Trump is trying to sue to stop publication of that book. Vice President Mike Pence has publicly claimed concern over a second wave of the coronavirus is overblown. That was quickly batted back by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who warned the nation is still in the first wave. In fact, new cases are increasing in at least 20 states. Some states, including Texas, South Carolina, and Arizona, are seeing their largest surges yet. Pence also argued falsely that the spike in cases is a function of more testing. Pence also argued the effort to eliminate the disease before a vaccine is ready is now not the USA's goal. Trump signed an executive order to encourage changes in policing, including new restrictions on chokeholds. However, illegal experts say the order has little impact and does not address calls for broader action on racism. In signing the bill, Trump called police officers, quote, embattled American heroes who must be defended. The family of Ahmad Arbery, that was the man shot while jogging in Georgia, said a meeting with Trump before the signing of that bill, quote, quickly grew contentious. The family then refused to appear as planned at a news conference after the signing of that order. The Seattle Times revealed that Fox News published digitally altered and misleading photos on stories about Seattle's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. The photos were used to present a false narrative of a chaotic, lawless area in that city. Fox later removed the manipulated images from its website. And the House is to vote on making Washington, D.C. the 51st state. It is the first vote on the issue in over 25 years. D.C. is a protectorate that is taxed but is not self-governing. Anger over Trump's handling of racial justice protests in the nation's capital set that motion on a course for legislation. Day 1246, June 18th. 1.5 million U.S. workers applied for state unemployment benefits this week. That is the 13th straight week the filings topped 1 million people. In a related story, Trump said he would not support the extension of expanded unemployment insurance benefits beyond the end of July, claiming it is keeping workers from returning to work. The Justice Department has asked a judge to hold publication of Bolton's memoir, which has already been printed and distributed to booksellers. They claim it contains classified information. Trump also urged the judge to declare the potential restraining order it was seeking should bind the book's publisher and bookstores from disseminating the book. Bolton's memoir has already been leaked to news agencies and contains apparently deeply damaging revelations about Trump's behavior. That injunction is also likely to fail under First Amendment grounds. Among the tidbits from Bolton's book, Trump did not seem to know that Britain was a nuclear power. He also asked if Finland was a part of Russia. According to Bolton, Trump also came closer to withdrawing the United States from NATO than was previously known and said it would be cool to invade Venezuela. Trump also told Bolton that journalists were scumbags who should be executed. 
Trump encouraged Xi Jinping in China to build concentration camps. He apparently has also repeatedly badgered Attorney General Barr to prosecute former Secretary of State John Kerry for talking with Iran in what Trump insists is a violation of the Logan Act. This is false. In the book, Bolton also explained why he did not testify before the House. He was, of course, blocked from testifying in the Senate by Republicans. Quote, given the environment then existing, it would have made no significant difference in the Senate outcome. Bolton also faulted Democrats for not building a broader case. The FDA has revoked the emergency use of hydrochloroquine and chloroquine to treat COVID-19 because it's unlikely to produce an antiviral effect. Trump, of course, has repeatedly pumped the use of the drug despite adverse side effects. The city of Tulsa is pleading with the Trump campaign to cancel his campaign rally this weekend, calling it, quote, a perfect storm of potential over-the-top disease transmission. It's a perfect storm we cannot afford. The 20,000-person indoor event is highly likely to worsen the current spike in virus infections in that state. Tulsa's cases are growing rapidly and hit a record high on Monday. Also, a Tulsa judge rejected a request from local residents and business owners to prevent Trump from holding his rally. The lawsuit filed in the Tulsa County District Court sought a temporary injunction against the company that manages the venue in order to, quote, protect against a substantial, imminent, and deadly risk. Tulsa's mayor also said he would not use his emergency powers to prevent Trump from holding the rally, but he said he had significant reservations about it. Two top officials at Voice of America resigned as a Trump appointee took control of the network and other U.S. federally funded media operations. That appointee, Michael Peck, then removed the chiefs of four news organizations under his purview, dismissed the head of a tech group, and disbanded the partisan boards that govern and advise those five organizations. He replaced the bipartisan members largely with Trump administration political appointees and named himself chairman. The Voice of America has always been a nonpartisan information outlet. 83% of Americans support banning racial profiling. 92% requiring federal police to wear body cameras. And the same number wants to allow independent investigations of police departments. Americans say they are in the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. Only 14% of Americans say they're very happy. Trump's approval rating continues to sink this week. He is at 37%. He continues to lose by double digits to Joe Biden in many battleground states. These are the Trump Diaries.
Studio A has been closed due to the pandemic. Please enjoy this brand new song from Philip Michael Skills called Find a Way. It was produced and co-written by Tony Esterly. Special thanks to August Forte. Knocking at the door On what I knew for sure Blew up in my face Couldn't take no more My darkest day But I can't lose sleep On what I cannot change I chase the lightning I got soaked in the rain Dance with my demons Till I couldn't see straight Try to twist me But I still there are about five um uh, about five uh wandering aldermen who are uh from previous years who are still alive not including deacon delphi who is still the current wandering alderman so six in total um and all of them uh have effectively uh began living in the uh in the 
East Indiana Dunes following their election process. This is a a, a life-changing process to go through, uh, no less because of the experience that a wandering alderman will have in the hidden neighborhoods of Chicago. The hidden neighborhoods of Chicago are really the end-all, be-all of this whole campaign. Um, anytime any resident of known Chicago uh, spends in hidden Chicago is, uh, I mean, almost from a from a surprising, a, a, a very horrible, uh, horrible metric, uh, takes uh, off roughly every every minute that somebody spends in in the hidden neighborhood. Uh, it can be linked to taking off a day from somebody's life in, in the grand scheme. I mean, data is sort of confusing, especially when it comes to uh, the hidden neighborhoods, but uh, it does seem that a surprising number of people that have gone to the hidden neighborhoods, and specifically um, a surprising number of wandering aldermen live fast and loose lives that are riddled with uh, great despair following their, following their run. Um, and it's very, I mean, it's just very at least relieving to see the that everybody that has been elected to wandering alderman has at least been able to uh, ha- has been able to carry that burden following their following their term uh, with great poise and I mean class uh, so to speak. Broadcast every Sunday eight to nine p.m. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.